0: Hey guys, welcome to the Orthodox Christian Podcast, and today I wanted to speak about different scripture translations and some of the considerations that you might want to bear in mind when you are reading scripture or choosing to purchase a version of the Bible. Before we get into it, just a disclaimer that I am not an official representation or representative of the Orthodox Church, and if you have questions that are specific to that and want to know what the Orthodox Church believes about X, Y, or Z, Um, there is a form in the uh, description that you can check out, but also I would definitely encourage everyone to meet with a local Orthodox priest and uh, attend liturgy there, because that is really the best way to learn what the Orthodox Church believes, to speak to someone who is actually in authority at a local parish, and to see and understand what the words are that are being said and sung, etc. in the worship gathering. But without further ado, uh, today I want to speak about some topics related to scripture translation. So uh, two kind of big things. One is when scripture is translated, are they aiming to be more accessible or more accurate? And I want to show the strengths of both of those sides. And then on the other hand, uh, what version of the Old Testament is being translated? And how does that affect our interpretation or connection of those passages with Christ? So I'm going to be looking at a passage in the Greek Old Testament and in the Hebrew Old Testament, and just showing uh, pros and cons for both kinds of translations. But first, we're going to look at these different kinds or sort of methodologies that people use when they're translating scriptures. And um, this is a little bit more of a technical video, although I'm gonna try to make it as accessible as possible. So with translations of scripture, they can be more accessible. And sometimes the technical word for that is dynamic equivalent, or they can be more accurate as like a literal word for word translation. And the technical term for that is formal equivalence. So, right now on the screen, and if you're listening to this, I'd probably recommend watching it. But if um, you're looking at the screen, we're in Leviticus 18, verse six. And this is a more accessible translation of scripture. It's the New American Bible Revised Edition that is put out by. Uh, the catholic church and it says quote none of you shall approach a close relative to have sexual inc- intercourse i'm lord you shall not disgrace your father by having intercourse with your mother she is your own mother you shall not have intercourse with her you shall not have intercourse with your father's wife for that would be a disgrace to your father i'll just stop there because it kind of goes on and on like that but um so this is very intelligible you can understand immediately what's being said it's very accessible now I'm going to show you something that's a little more literal and word for word. This is the New Revised Standard Version, which is uh, more of like an ecumenical translation. And the Orthodox Church was involved with this one. It says, quote, none of you shall approach anyone near of kin to uncover nakedness. Okay, a bit different. I'm the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is the nakedness of your father. So a different way to phrase this, it's much more literal. It's using this euphemism of uncovering nakedness to speak about sexual intercourse. So if you were just coming fresh to this text for the very first time, probably the first one that's more accessible is better because you would be able to understand it. But I think once you get used to scripture, the more accurate translation is a lot better to have because there is this phrase that will be used in different places. And if you have the understanding of this phrase, uncovering nakedness, you can see a little bit of a deeper meaning that's occurring. So now I'm going to go to a passage in... Genesis and this is after the flood when Noah gets drunk on wine and then one of his sons comes and uncovers his nakedness. So quote this is 9 verse 22 and Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. After this has occurred Noah says cursed be Canaan lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers so if you're just reading this and you don't have the understanding of uncovering nakedness in mind you might think okay noah got drunk he's passed out he's displayed himself in an ungraceful way and ham comes in and makes fun of him and goes and gossips to his brothers and then his brothers come in and cover the nakedness that's definitely one interpretation but another interpretation that you could have is that noah gets drunk on wine he is not able to protect his family properly and what happens is. Ham sees an opportunity to basically usurp Noah by sleeping with his mother, and obviously that's extremely twisted. And this is why Noah is so enraged by what Ham does and curses him and says that he's the lowest of slaves and he shall be to his brothers. Um, So that's not necessarily the interpretation, but I think that when you have a little literal interpretation of scripture, you're able to see some of these connections a lot more clearly uh, and see how the phrases and words of scripture are being built and used uh, to convey meaning that is otherwise hidden. So in general, my rule of thumb would probably be if you're new to scripture, do something that's a little more accessible. But once you've read it a bit, probably something that is a more accurate translation is recommended. Now, the second thing I want to highlight is just how the Greek Old Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament will translate things slightly differently um, in terms of like when you've got an English translation of the Greek or a English translation of the Hebrew and how each of them can be really helpful with drawing uh, connections and parallels with Christ and showing how He is the recapitulation or the fulfillment of Israel's history. So I'm going to give a example in favor of the Greek Old Testament right now, and then I'll give one in favor of the Hebrew Old Testament. So this is from Genesis 22 verse 1. It says, "God was testing Abraham and said to him, "Abraham, Abraham." And he said, here am I. And he said, take your beloved son whom you love, Isaac, and go into the highland and take him up there as a sacrifice on one of the mountains that I will say to you. I should also mention this is the Lexham English uh, Septuagint uh, second edition that I'm reading from. And it's a pretty good translation from what I can gather. I'm definitely not an expert in Greek translation, but it's fairly readable and fairly literal and Um, it's contemporary in its usage. So some of the translations of the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that is like the standard uh, document in Orthodoxy, they're not very contemporary. And so it's nice to find something that's contemporary because then you can just understand the meaning or wrestle with the meaning rather than having to wrestle with also the strange wording because it's archaic. In any case, uh, Isaac is described as beloved. That's the important thing. If you go to the new revised standard version it's translating from the hebrew for the most part and it says quote take your son your only son isaac whom you love and go to the land of moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that i shall show you so isaac is not described as beloved and that's significant because when you go to st mark's gospel when christ is baptized there's a voice coming from heaven that says you are my son the beloved with you i'm well pleased So if you're just reading the Hebrew Old Testament, you might totally miss this reference and think, okay, well, Christ is a beloved son of God, great. But if you're reading the Greek Old Testament, you might think, ah, beloved son, that's talking about Isaac. There's a connection with Isaac. Well, what happened in Isaac's story? Well, he was the only son of his father, Abraham, or the only legitimate son, there's also Ishmael. Anyways, he was the only legitimate son of his father and God said to sacrifice him. And so Abraham went up a mountain, with Isaac and Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. And at the last minute, God intervened and gave a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. So that has a and the ram was caught in a thicket. And so there's a lot of little parallels with Christ's life because Christ also goes up a mountain. He goes up Mount Zion to Jerusalem and he is going to be the sacrifice and he's carrying the wood of the cross and then he sacrificed. And yet he's also like this, um, He's also feeling what happens to the ram in a way, because the ram that sort of goes in the place of Isaac in the original story uh, is caught in a thicket. And I think this could be an illusion or an allegory of Christ wearing the crown of thorns. It's like the head of the ram is caught in the thicket and Christ's head is caught in this crown of thorns. So there's all these parallels that are really beautiful that you can see when you start to make the connection between beloved son, um, Isaac and beloved son, Christ but if you don't have the word in beloved son, you might not make that connection. So one other thing I wanna share is showing how the Hebrew translation can also be really helpful. This is from Isaiah. It says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Lord is all in capitals and the reason for that is it's a translation of god's divine name which was revealed at the burning bush to moses which can be translated i am stands for god the existing one the one who necessarily exists who holds all things in existence helpful information to keep in mind if you go to the greek translation of the old testament it says the voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way of the lord make the paths of our god straight so lord there is uh kurios which means like ruler or lord and sometimes it can be referring to god sometimes it isn't whereas lord all caps in the hebrew that is always referring to god specifically so then when you go to the new testament and it says a quote from isaiah quote see i am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one crying out in the wilderness and here's our quote prepare the way of the lord make his paths straight so then when you see the word Lord and you compare it with what's written in the Hebrew Old Testament, you can make a really strong connection between, ah, okay, well, Christ is the Lord. The one, the way that is being prepared for God Himself, and the one that shows up is God. And so I think again, that's a really beautiful connection between the divinity of Christ uh, and this term Lord that's being used to describe him. So uh in summary, if you are reading scripture, I think that it's okay to start with something that's more accessible, but I'd recommend moving to something that's more accurate if you're into that kind of thing. And in terms of reading the Old Testament, I think it's super helpful to look at the Greek Old Testament. Uh, That is the standard with the Orthodox Church, but also the Hebrew Old Testament is super helpful as well. And if you have the luxury or convenience to look at both of them, that is a wonderful thing. If you have questions about scripture translations or like anything, to do with orthodoxy, please feel free to use the form link in the video description. And in the meantime, I hope that you have a peaceful week. Take care.